Section 30 of Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rome by Emil Zola, translated by Ernest Visitelli. Chapter 15, Part 2. However, he now rose and cordially took leave of the young priest. I doubt if I shall see you again, my dear son, he said. I wish you a good journey. Still he did not go off, but continued to look at Pierre with his penetrating eyes, and finally made him sit down again and did the same himself. I feel sure, he said, that you will go to pay your respects to Cardinal Bergerot as soon as you have returned to France. Kindly tell him that I respectfully desired to be reminded to him. I knew him a little at the time when he came here for his hat. He is one of the great luminaries of the French clergy. Ah, if a man of such intelligence would only work for a good understanding in our holy church. Unfortunately, I fear that race and environment have instilled prejudices into him, for he does not always help us. Pierre, who was surprised to hear Nani speak of the cardinal for the first time at this moment of farewell, listened with a curiosity. Then in all frankness he replied, Yes, his eminence has very decided ideas about our old church of France. For instance, he professes perfect horror of the Jesuits. With a light exclamation, Nani stopped the young man, and he wore the most sincerely, frankly astonished air that could be imagined. What? Horror of the Jesuits? In what way can the Jesuits disquiet him? The Jesuits? There are none. That's all over. Have you seen any in Rome? Have they troubled you in any way, those poor Jesuits who haven't even a stone of their own left here on which to lay their heads? No, no, that bogey mustn't be brought up again. It's childish. Pierre, in his turn, looked at him, marvelling at his perfect ease, his quiet courage in dealing with this burning subject. He did not avert his eyes, but displayed an open face like a book of truth. Ah, he continued, if by Jesuits you mean the sensible priests who instead of entering into sterile and dangerous struggles with modern society seek by human methods to bring it back to the church why then of course we are all of us more or less jesuits for it would be madness not to take into account the times in which one lives and besides i won't haggle over words they are of no consequence jesuits well yes if you like jesuits he was again smiling with that shrewd smile of his in which there was so much raillery and so much intelligence well, when you see Cardinal Bergerot, tell him that it is unreasonable to track the Jesuits and treat them as enemies of the nation. The contrary is the truth. The Jesuits are for France because they are for wealth, strength and courage. France is the only great Catholic country which has yet remained erect and sovereign, the only one on which the papacy can some day lean. Thus the Holy Father, after momentarily dreaming of obtaining support from victorious Germany, has allied himself with France, the vanquished, because he has understood that apart from France there can be no salvation for the Church. And in this he has only followed the policy of the Jesuits, those frightful Jesuits whom your Parisians execrate. And tell Cardinal Bergeron also that it would be grand of him to work for pacification by making people understand how wrong it is for your Republic to help the Holy Father so little in his conciliatory efforts. It pretends to regard him as an element in the world's affairs that may be neglected, and that is dangerous, for although he may seem to have no political means of action, he remains an immense moral force, and can at any moment raise consciences in rebellion and provoke a religious agitation of the most far-reaching consequences. 
it is still he who disposes of the nations since he disposes of their souls and the republic acts most inconsiderately from the standpoint of its own interests in showing that it no longer even suspects it and tell the cardinal too that it is really pitiful to see in what a wretched way your republic selects its bishops as though it intentionally desired to weaken its episcopacy leaving out a few fortunate exceptions your bishops are men of small brains and as a result your cardinals likewise mere mediocrities have no influence play no part here in rome ah what a sorry figure you frenchmen will cut at the next conclave and so why do you show such blind and foolish hatred of those jesuits who politically are your friends why don't you employ their intelligent zeal which is ready to serve you so that you may assure yourselves the help of the next the coming pope it is necessary for you that he should be on your side that he should continue the work of leo thirteen which is so badly judged and so much opposed but which cares little for the petty results of to-day since its purpose lies in the future in the union of all the nations under their holy mother the church tell cardinal bergerot tell him plainly that he ought to be with us that he ought to work for his country by working for us the coming pope why the whole question lies in that and woe to france if in him she does not find a continuator of leo thirteen nanny had again risen and this time he was going off never before had he unbosomed himself at such length but most assuredly he had only said what he desired to say for a purpose that he alone knew of and in a firm gentle and deliberate voice by which one could tell that each word had been weighed and determined beforehand farewell my dear son he said and once again think over all you have seen and heard in rome be as sensible as you can and do not spoil your life pierre bowed and pressed the small plump supple hand which the prelate offered him monseigneur he replied i again thank you for all your kindness you may be sure that i shall forget nothing of my journey then he watched nanny as he went off with a light and conquering step as if marching to all the victories of the future no no he pierre would forget nothing of his journey he well knew that union of all the nations under their holy mother the church that temporal bondage in which the law of christ would become the dictatorship of augustus master of the world and as for those jesuits he had no doubt that they did love france the eldest daughter of the church and the only daughter that could yet help her mother to recover universal sovereignty but they loved her even as the black swarms of locusts love the harvests which they swoop on and devour infinite sadness had returned to the young man's heart as he dimly realized that in that sorely stricken mansion in all that mourning and downfall it was they they again who must have been the artisans of grief and disaster as this thought came to him he turned round and perceived don vigilio leaning against the credence in front of the large portrait of the cardinal holding his hands to his face as if he desired to annihilate himself the secretary was shivering in every limb as much with fear as with fever at a moment when no fresh visitors were arriving he had succumbed to an attack of terrified despair mon dieu what is the matter with you asked pierre stepping forward are you ill can i help you but don vigilio suffocating and still hiding his face could only gasp between his close-pressed hands ah paparelli paparelli what is it what has he done to you asked the other astonished then the secretary disclosed his face and again yielded to his quivering desire to confide in someone eh what he has done to me can't you feel anything can't you see anything then didn't you notice the manner in which he took possession of cardinal sanguinetti so as to conduct him to his eminence 
to impose that suspected hateful rival on his eminence at such a moment as this what insolent audacity and a few minutes previously did you notice with what wicked cunning he bowed out an old lady a very old family friend who only desired to kiss his eminence's hand and show a little real affection which would have made his eminence so happy ah i tell you that he's the master here he opens or closes the door as he pleases and holds us all between his fingers like a pinch of dust which one throws to the wind pierre became anxious seeing how yellow and feverish don vigilio was come come my dear fellow he said you're exaggerating exaggerating do you know what happened last night what i myself unwillingly witnessed no you don't know it well i will tell you thereupon he related that donna serafina on returning home on the previous day to face the terrible catastrophe awaiting her had already been overcome by the bad news which she had learnt when calling on the cardinal secretary and various prelates of her acquaintance she had then acquired a certainty that her brother's position was becoming extremely bad for he had made so many fresh enemies among his colleagues of the sacred college that his election to the pontifical throne which a year previously had seemed probable now appeared an impossibility thus all at once the dream of her life collapsed the ambition which she had so long nourished lay in dust at her feet on despairingly seeking the why and wherefore of this change she had been told of all sorts of blunders committed by the cardinal acts of rough sternness unseasonable manifestations of opinion inconsiderate words or actions which had sufficed to wound people in fact such provoking demeanour that one might have thought it adopted with the express intention of spoiling everything and the worst was that in each of the blunders she had recognised errors of judgment which she herself had blamed but which her brother had obstinately insisted on perpetrating under the unacknowledged influence of abbe paparelli that humble and insignificant train-bearer in whom she detected a baneful and powerful adviser who destroyed her own vigilant and devoted influence and so in spite of the mourning in which the house was plunged she did not wish to delay the punishment of the traitor particularly as his old friendship with that terrible santo bono and the story of that basket of figs which had passed from the hands of the one to those of the other chilled her blood with a suspicion which she even recoiled from elucidating however at the first words she spoke directly she made a formal request that the traitor should be immediately turned out of the house she was confronted by invincible resistance on her brother's part he would not listen to her but flew into one of those hurricane-like passions which swept everything away reproaching her for laying blame on so modest pious and saintly a man and accusing her of playing into the hands of his enemies who after killing monsignor gallo was seeking to poison his sole remaining affection for that poor insignificant priest he treated all the stories he was told as abominable inventions and swore that he would keep the train-bearer in his service if only to show his disdain for calumny and she was thereupon obliged to hold her peace however don vigilio's shuddering fit had again come back he carried his hands to his face stammering ah paparelli paparelli and muttered invectives followed the train-bearer was an artful hypocrite who feigned modesty and humility a vile spy appointed to pry into everything listen to everything and pervert everything that went on in the palace he was a loathsome destructive insect feeding on the most noble prey devouring the lion's mane a jesuit a jesuit who is at once lackey and tyrant in all his base horror as he accomplishes the work of vermin calm yourself calm yourself repeated pierre who whilst allowing for foolish exaggeration on the secretary's part could not help shivering at the thought of all the threatening things which he himself could divine astir in the gloom 
however since don vigilio had so narrowly escaped eating those horrible figs his fright was such that nothing could calm it even when he was alone at night in bed with his door locked and bolted sudden terror fell on him and made him hide his head under the sheet and vent stifled cries as if he thought that men were coming in through the wall to strangle him in a faint breathless voice as if just emerging from a struggle he now resumed i told you what would happen on the evening when we had a talk together in your room although all the doors were securely shut i did wrong to speak of them to you i did wrong to ease my heart by telling you all that they were capable of i was sure they would learn it and you see they did learn it since they tried to kill me why it's even wrong of me to tell you this for it will reach their ears and they won't miss me the next time ah it's all over i'm as good as dead this house which i thought so safe will be my tomb pierre began to feel deep compassion for this ailing man whose feverish brain was haunted by nightmares and whose life was being finally wrecked by the anguish of persecution mania but you must run away in that case he said don't stop here come to france don vigilio looked at him momentarily calmed by surprise run away why go to france why they are there no matter where i might go they would be there they are everywhere i should always be surrounded by them no no i prefer to stay here and would rather die at once if his eminence can no longer defend me with an expression of ardent entreaty in which a last gleam of hope tried to assert itself he raised his eyes to the large painting in which the cardinal stood forth resplendent in his cassock of red moire but his attack came back again and overwhelmed him with increased intensity of fever leave me i beg you leave me he gasped don't make me talk any more ah oh, paparelli paparelli if he should come back and see us and hear me speak oh i'll never say anything again i'll tie up my tongue i'll cut it off leave me you are killing me i tell you he'll be coming back and that will mean my death go away oh for mercy's sake go away thereupon don vigilio turned towards the wall as if to flatten his face against it and immure his lips in tomb-like silence and pierre resolved to leave him to himself fearing lest he should provoke a yet more serious attack if he went on endeavouring to succour him on returning to the throne-room the young priest again found himself amidst all the frightful mourning mass was following mass without cessation murmured prayers entreated the divine mercy to receive the two dear departed souls with loving-kindness and amidst the dying perfume of the fading roses in front of the pale stars of the lighted candles pierre thought of that supreme downfall of the bocaneras dario was the last of the name and one could well understand that the cardinal whose only sin was family pride should have loved that one remaining scion by whom alone the old stock might yet blossom afresh and indeed if he and donna serafina had desired the divorce and then the marriage of the cousins it had been less with the view of putting an end to the scandal than with the hope of seeing a new line of bocanera spring up but the lovers were dead and the last remains of a long series of dazzling princes of sword and of gown lay there on that bed soon to rot in the grave it was all over that old maid and that aged cardinal could leave no posterity they remained face to face like two withered oaks sole remnants of a vanished forest and their fall would soon leave the plain quite clear and how terrible the grief of surviving in impotence what anguish to have to tell oneself that one is the end of everything that with oneself all life all hope for the morrow will depart amidst the murmur of the prayers the dying perfume of the roses the pale gleams of the two candles pierre realized what a downfall was that bereavement 
how heavy was the gravestone which fell forever on an extinct house a vanished world he well understood that as one of the familiars of the mansion he must pay his respects to donna seraphina and the cardinal and he at once sought admission to the neighbouring room where the princess was receiving her friends he found her robed in black very slim and very erect in her armchair whence she rose with slow dignity to respond to the bow of each person that entered she listened to the condolences but answered never a word overcoming her physical pain by rigidity of bearing pierre who had learnt to know her could divine however by the hollowness of her cheeks the emptiness of her eyes and the bitter twinge of her mouth how frightful was the collapse within her not only was her race ended but her brother would never be pope never secure the elevation which she had so long fancied she was winning for him by dint of devotion dint of feminine renunciation giving brain and heart care and money foregoing even wifehood and motherhood spoiling her whole life in order to realize that dream and amidst all the ruin of hope it was perhaps the non-fulfilment of that ambition which most made her heart bleed she rose for the young priest her guest as she rose for the other persons who presented themselves but she contrived to introduce shades of meaning into the manner in which she quitted her chair and pierre fully realized that he had remained in her eyes a mere petty french priest an insignificant domestic of the divinity who had not known how to acquire even the title of prelate when she had again seated herself after acknowledging his compliment with a slight inclination of the head he remained for a moment standing out of politeness not a word not a sound disturbed the mournful quiescence of the room for although there were four or five lady visitors seated there they remained motionless and silent as with grief pierre was most struck however by the sight of cardinal sarno who was lying back in an armchair with his eyes closed the poor puny lopsided old man had lingered there forgetfully after expressing his condolences and overcome by the heavy silence and close atmosphere had just fallen asleep and everybody respected his slumber was he dreaming as he dozed of that map of christendom which he carried behind his low obtuse looking brow was he continuing in dreamland his terrible work of conquest that task of subjecting and governing the earth which he directed from his dark room at the propaganda the ladies glanced at him affectionately and deferentially he was gently scolded at times for overworking himself the sleepiness which nowadays frequently overtook him in all sorts of places being attributed to excess of genius and zeal and of this all-powerful eminence pierre was destined to carry off only this last impression an exhausted old man resting amidst the emotion of a morning gathering sleeping there like a candid child without any one knowing whether this were due to the approach of senile imbecility or to the fatigues of a night spent in organizing the reign of god over some distant continent two ladies went off and three more arrived donna seraphina rose bowed and then reseated herself reverting to her rigid attitude her bust erect her face stern and full of despair cardinal sarno was still asleep then pierre felt as if he would stifle a kind of vertigo came on him and his heart beat violently so he bowed and withdrew and on passing through the dining-room on his way to the little study where cardinal boccanera received his visitors he found himself in the presence of paparelli who was jealously guarding the door when the train-bearer had sniffed at the young man he seemed to realize that he could not refuse him admittance moreover as this intruder was going away the very next day defeated and covered with shame there was nothing to be feared from him you wish to see his eminence said paparelli good good by and by wait 
and opining that pierre was too near the door he pushed him back to the other end of the room for fear no doubt lest he should overhear anything his eminence is still engaged with his eminence cardinal sanguinetti wait wait there sanguinetti indeed had made a point of kneeling for a long time in front of the bodies in the throne room and had then spun out his visit to donna serafina in order to mark how largely he shared the family's sorrow and for more than ten minutes now he had been closeted with cardinal bocanera nothing but an occasional murmur of their voices being heard through the closed door pierre however on finding paparelli there was again haunted by all that don vigilio had told him he looked at the train-bearer so fat and short puffed out with bad fat in his dirty cassock his face flabby and wrinkled and his whole person at forty years of age suggestive of that of a very old maid and he felt astonished how was it that cardinal bocanera that superb prince who carried his head so high and who was so supremely proud of his name had allowed himself to be captured and swayed by such a frightful creature reeking of baseness and abomination was it not the man's very physical degradation and profound humility that had struck him disturbed him and finally fascinated him as wondrous gifts conducing to salvation which he himself lacked paparelli's person and disposition were like blows dealt to his own handsome presence and his own pride he who could not be so deformed he who could not vanquish his passion for glory must by an effort of faith have grown jealous of that man who was so extremely ugly and so extremely insignificant he must have come to admire him as a superior force of penitence and human abasement which threw the portals of heaven wide open who can ever tell what ascendancy is exercised by the monster over the hero by the horrid-looking saint covered with vermin over the powerful of this world in their terror at having to endure everlasting flames in payment of their terrestrial joys and twas indeed the lion devoured by the insect vast strength and splendour destroyed by the invisible ah to have that fine soul which was so certain of paradise which for its welfare was enclosed in such a disgusting body to possess the happy humility of that wide intelligence that remarkable theologian who scourged himself with rods each morning on rising and was content to be the lowest of servants standing there a heap of livid fat paparelli on his side watched pierre with his little grey eyes blinking amidst the myriad wrinkles of his face and the young priest began to feel uneasy wondering what their eminences could be saying to one another shut up together like that for so long a time and what an interview it must be if bocanera suspected sanguinetti of counting santo bono among his clients what serene audacity it was on sanguinetti's part to have dared to present himself in that house and what strength of soul there must be on bocanera's part what empire over himself to prevent all scandal by remaining silent and accepting the visit as a simple mark of esteem and affection what could they be saying to one another however how interesting it would have been to have seen them face to face and have heard them exchange the diplomatic phrases suited to such an interview whilst their souls were raging with furious hatred all at once the door opened and cardinal sanguinetti appeared with calm face no ruddier than usual indeed a trifle paler and retaining the fitting measure of sorrow which he had thought it right to assume his restless eyes alone revealed his delight at being rid of a difficult task and he was going off all hope in the conviction that he was the only eligible candidate to the papacy that remained abbe paparelli had darted forward if your eminence will kindly follow me i will escort your eminence to the door then turning towards pierre he added you may go in now pierre watched them walk away the one so humble behind the other who was so triumphant 
then he entered the little workroom furnished simply with a table and three chairs and in the centre of it he at once perceived cardinal bocanera still standing in the lofty noble attitude which he had assumed to take leave of sanguinetti his hated rival to the pontifical throne and visibly bocanera also believed himself the only possible pope the one whom the coming conclave would elect however when the door had been closed and the cardinal beheld that young priest his guest who had witnessed the death of those two dear children lying in the adjoining room he was again mastered by emotion an unexpected attack of weakness in which all his energy collapsed his human feelings were taking their revenge now that his rival was no longer there to see him he staggered like an old tree smitten with the axe and sank upon a chair stifling with sobs and as pierre according to usage was about to stoop and kiss his ring he raised him and at once made him sit down stammering in a halting voice no no my dear son seat yourself there wait excuse me leave me to myself for a moment my heart is bursting he sobbed with his hands to his face unable to master himself unable to drive back his grief with those yet vigorous fingers which were pressed to his cheeks and temples tears came into pierre's eyes for he also lived through all that woe afresh and was much upset by the weeping of that tall old man that saint and prince usually so haughty so fully master of himself but now only a poor suffering agonizing man as weak and as lost as a child however although the young priest was likewise stifling with grief he desired to present his condolences and sought for kindly words by which he might soothe the other's despair i beg your eminence to believe in my profound grief he said i have been overwhelmed with kindness here and desired at once to tell your eminence how much that irreparable loss but with a brave gesture the cardinal silenced him no no say nothing for mercy's sake say nothing and silence reigned while he continued weeping shaken by the struggle he was waging his efforts to regain sufficient strength to overcome himself at last he mastered his quiver and slowly uncovered his face which had again become calm like that of a believer strong in his faith and submissive to the will of god in refusing a miracle in dealing so hard a blow to that house god had doubtless had his reasons and he the cardinal one of god's ministers one of the high dignitaries of his terrestrial court was in duty bound to bow to it the silence lasted for another moment and then in a voice which he managed to render natural and cordial bocanera said you are leaving us you are going back to france tomorrow are you not my dear son yes i shall have the honour to take leave of your eminence tomorrow again thanking your eminence for your inexhaustible kindness and you have learnt that the congregation of the index has condemned your book as was inevitable yes i obtained the signal favour of being received by his holiness and in his presence made my submission and reprobated my book the cardinal's moist eyes again began to sparkle ah you did that ah you did well my dear son he said it was only your strict duty as a priest but there are so many nowadays who do not even do their duty as a member of the congregation i kept the promise i gave you to read your book particularly the incriminated pages and if i afterwards remained neutral to such a point even as to miss the sitting in which judgment was pronounced it was only to please my poor dear niece who was so fond of you and who pleaded your cause to me tears were coming into his eyes again and he paused feeling that he would once more be overcome if he evoked the memory of that adored and lamented benedetta and so it was with a pugnacious bitterness that he resumed 
but what an execrable book it was my dear son allow me to tell you so you told me that you had shown respect for dogma and i still wonder what aberration can have come over you that you should have been so blind to all consciousness of your offences respect for dogma good lord when the entire work is the negation of our holy religion did you not realize that by asking for a new religion you absolutely condemned the old one the only true one the only good one the only one that can be eternal and that sufficed to make your book the most deadly of poisons one of those infamous books which in former times were burnt by the hangman and which one is nowadays compelled to leave in circulation after interdicting them and thereby designating them to evil curiosity which explains the contagious rottenness of the century ah i well recognized there some of the ideas of our distinguished and poetical relative that dear viscount philibert de la choux a man of letters yes a man of letters literature mere literature i beg god to forgive him for he most surely does not know what he is doing or whither he is going with his elegiac christianity for talkative working men and young persons of either sex to whom scientific notions have given vagueness of soul and i only feel angry with his eminence cardinal bergerot for he at any rate knows what he does and does as he pleases no say nothing do not defend him he personifies revolution in the church and is against god although pierre had resolved that he would not reply or argue he had allowed a gesture of protest to escape him on hearing this furious attack upon the man whom he most respected in the whole world however he yielded to cardinal bocanera's injunction and again bowed i cannot sufficiently express my horror the cardinal roughly continued yes my horror for all that hollow dream of a new religion that appeal to the most hideous passions which stir up the poor against the rich by promising them i know not what division of wealth what community of possession which is nowadays impossible that base flattery shown to the lower orders to whom equality and justice are promised but never given for these can come from god alone it is only he who can finally make them reign on the day appointed by his almighty power and there is even that interested charity which people abuse of to rail against heaven itself and accuse it of iniquity and indifference that lackadaisical weakening charity and compassion unworthy of strong firm hearts for it is as if human suffering were not necessary for salvation as if we did not become more pure greater and nearer to the supreme happiness the more and more we suffer he was growing excited full of anguish and superb it was his bereavement his heart wound which thus exasperated him the great blow which had felled him for a moment but against which he again rose erect defying grief and stubborn in his stoic belief in an omnipotent god who was the master of mankind and reserved felicity to those whom he selected again however he made an effort to calm himself and resumed in a more gentle voice at all events the fold is always open my dear son and here you are back in it since you have repented you cannot imagine how happy it makes me in his turn pierre strove to show himself conciliatory in order that he might not further ulcerate that violent grief-stricken soul your eminence said he may be sure that i shall endeavour to remember every one of the kind words which your eminence has spoken to me in the same way as i shall remember the fatherly greeting of his holiness leo thirteen this sentence seemed to throw bocanera into agitation again at first only murmured restrained words came from him as if he were struggling against a desire to question the young priest ah yes you saw his holiness you spoke to him and he told you i suppose as he tells all the foreigners who go to pay their respects to him that he desires conciliation and peace for my part i now only see him when it is absolutely necessary 
for more than a year i have not been received in private audience this proof of disfavour of the covert struggle which as in the days of pius ninth kept the holy father and the camerlingo at variance filled the latter with bitterness he was unable to restrain himself and spoke out reflecting no doubt that he had a familiar before him one whose discretion was certain and who moreover was leaving rome on the morrow one may go a long way said he with those fine words peace and conciliation which are so often void of real wisdom and courage the terrible truth is that leo XIII's eighteen years of concessions have shaken everything in the church and should he long continue to reign catholicism would topple over and crumble into dust like a building whose pillars have been undermined interested by this remark pierre in his desire for knowledge began to raise objections but hasn't his holiness shown himself very prudent he asked has he not placed dogma on one side in an impregnable fortress if he seems to have made concessions on many points have they not always been concessions in mere matters of form matters of form ah yes the cardinal resumed with increasing passion he told you no doubt as he tells others that whilst in substance he will make no surrender he will readily yield in matters of form it's a deplorable axiom an equivocal form of diplomacy even when it isn't so much low hypocrisy my soul revolts at the thought of that opportunism that jesuitism which makes artifice its weapon and only serves to cast doubt among true believers the confusion of a sauve qui peut which by and by must lead to inevitable defeat it is cowardice the worst form of cowardice abandonment of one's weapons in order that one may retreat the more speedily shame of oneself assumption of a mask in the hope of deceiving the enemy penetrating into his camp and overcoming him by treachery no no form is everything in a traditional and immutable religion which for eighteen hundred years has been is now and till the end of time will be the very law of god the cardinal's feelings so stirred him that he was unable to remain seated and began to walk about the little room and it was the whole reign the whole policy of leo thirteen which he discussed and condemned unity too he continued that famous unity of the christian church which his holiness talks of bringing about and his desire for which people turn to his great glory why it is only the blind ambition of a conqueror enlarging his empire without asking himself if the new nations that he subjects may not disorganize adulterate and impregnate his old and hitherto faithful people with every error what if all the schismatical nations on returning to the catholic church should so transform it as to kill it and made it a new church there is only one wise course which is to be what one is and that firmly again isn't there both shame and danger in that pretended alliance with the democracy which in itself gives the lie to the ancient spirit of the papacy the right of kings is divine and to abandon the monarchical principle is to set oneself against god to compound with revolution and to harbour a monstrous scheme of utilising the madness of men the better to establish one's power over them all republics are forms of anarchy and there can be no more criminal act one which must forever shake the principle of authority order and religion itself than that of recognising a republic as legitimate for the sole purpose of indulging a dream of impossible conciliation and observe how this bears on the question of the temporal power he continues to claim it he makes a point of no surrender on that question of the restoration of rome but in reality has he not made the loss irreparable has he not definitively renounced rome by admitting that nations have the right to drive away their kings and live like wild beasts in the depths of the forests all at once the cardinal stopped short and raised his arms to heaven in a burst of holy anger ah that man 
ah that man who by his vanity and craving for success will have proved the ruin of the church that man who has never ceased corrupting everything dissolving everything crumbling everything in order to reign over the world which he fancies he will reconquer by those means why almighty god why hast thou not already called him to thee so sincere was the accent in which that appeal to death was raised to such a point was hatred magnified by a real desire to save the deity imperilled here below that a great shudder swept through pierre also he now understood that cardinal bocanera who religiously and passionately hated leo XIII. he saw him in the depths of his black palace waiting and watching for the pope's death that death which as camerlingo he must officially certify how feverishly he must wait how impatiently he must desire the advent of the hour when with his little silver hammer he would deal the three symbolic taps on the skull of leo XIII while the latter lay cold and rigid on his bed surrounded by his pontifical court ah to strike that wall of the brain to make sure that nothing more would answer from within that nothing beyond night and silence was left there and the three calls would ring out joachino 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 and the corpse making no answer the camerlingo after waiting for a few seconds would turn and say the pope is dead conciliation however is the weapon of the times remarked pierre wishing to bring the cardinal back to the present and it is in order to make sure of conquering that the holy father yields in matters of form he will not conquer he will be conquered cried bocanera never has the church been victorious save in stubbornly clinging to its integrality the immutable eternity of its divine essence and it would for a certainty fall on the day when it should allow a single stone of its edifice to be touched remember the terrible period through which it passed at the time of the council of trent the reformation had just deeply shaken it laxity of discipline and morals was everywhere increasing there was a rising tide of novelties ideas suggested by the spirit of evil unhealthy projects born of the pride of man running riot in full license and at the council itself many members were disturbed poisoned ready to vote for the wildest changes a fresh schism added to all the others well if catholicism was saved at that critical period under the threat of such great danger it was because the majority enlightened by god maintained the old edifice intact it was because with divinely inspired obstinacy it kept itself within the narrow limits of dogma it was because it made no concession none whether in substance or in form nowadays the situation is certainly not worse than it was at the time of the council of trent let us suppose it to be much the same and tell me if it is not nobler braver and safer for the church to show the courage which she showed before and declare aloud what she is what she has been and what she will be there is no salvation for her otherwise than in her complete indisputable sovereignty and since she has always conquered by non-surrender all attempts to conciliate her with the century are tantamount to killing her the cardinal had again begun to walk to and fro with thoughtful step no no said he no compounding no surrender no weakness rather the wall of steel which bars the road the block of granite which marks the limit of a world as i told you my dear son on the day of your arrival to try to accommodate catholicism to the new times is to hasten its end if really it be threatened as atheists pretend and in that way it would die basely and shamefully instead of dying erect proud and dignified in its old glorious royalty ah to die standing denying naught of the past braving the future and confessing one's whole faith 
that old man of seventy seemed to grow yet loftier as he spoke free from all dread of final annihilation and making the gesture of a hero who defies futurity faith had given him serenity of peace he believed he knew he had neither doubt nor fear of the morrow of death still his voice was tinged with haughty sadness as he resumed god can do all even destroy his own work should it seem evil in his eyes but though all should crumble to-morrow though the holy church should disappear among the ruins though the most venerated sanctuaries should be crushed by the falling stars it would still be necessary for us to bow and adore god who after creating the world might thus annihilate it for his own glory and i wait submissive to his will for nothing happens unless he wills it if really the temples be shaken if catholicism be fated to fall to-morrow into dust i shall be here to act as the minister of death even as i have been the minister of life it is certain i confess it that there are hours when terrible signs appear to me perhaps indeed the end of time is nigh and we shall witness that fall of the old world with which others threaten us the worthiest the loftiest are struck down as if heaven erred and in them punished the crimes of the world have i not myself felt the blast from the abyss into which all must sink since my house for transgressions that i am ignorant of has been stricken with that frightful bereavement which precipitates it into the gulf which casts it back into night everlasting he again evoked those two dear dead ones who were always present in his mind sobs were once more rising in his throat his hands trembled his lofty figure quivered with the last revolt of grief yes if god had stricken him so severely by suppressing his race if the greatest and most faithful were thus punished it must be that the world was definitively condemned did not the end of his house mean the approaching end of all and in his sovereign pride as priest and as prince he found a cry of supreme resignation once more raising his hands on high almighty god thy will be done may all die all fall all return to the night of chaos i shall remain standing in this ruined palace waiting to be buried beneath its fragments and if thy will doth summon me to bury thy holy religion be without fear i shall do nothing unworthy to prolong its life for a few days i will maintain it erect like myself as proud as uncompromising as in the days of all its power i will yield nothing whether in discipline or in right or in dogma and when the day shall come i will bury it with myself carry it whole into the grave rather than yielding aught of it encompassing it with my cold arms to restore it to thee even as thou didst commit it to the keeping of thy church almighty god and sovereign master dispose of me make me if such be thy good pleasure the pontiff of destruction the pontiff of the death of the world pierre who was thunderstruck quivered with fear and admiration at the extraordinary vision this evoked the last of the popes interring catholicism he understood that bocanera must at times have made that dream he could see him in the vatican in st peter's which the thunderbolts had riven asunder he could see him erect and alone in the spacious halls whence his terrified cowardly pontifical court had fled clad in his white cassock thus wearing white mourning for the church he once more descended to the sanctuary there to wait for heaven to fall on the evening of time's accomplishment and annihilate the earth thrice he raised the large crucifix overthrown by the supreme convulsions of the soil then when the final crack rent the steps apart he caught it in his arms and was annihilated with it beneath the falling vaults and nothing could be more instinct with fierce and kingly grandeur 
voiceless but without weakness his lofty stature invincible and erect in spite of all cardinal bocanera made a gesture dismissing pierre who yielding to his passion for truth and beauty found that he alone was great and right and respectfully kissed his hand it was in the throne room with closed doors at nightfall after the visits had ceased that the two bodies were laid in their coffin the religious services had come to an end and in the close silent atmosphere there only lingered the dying perfume of the roses and the warm odour of the candles as the latter's pale stars scarcely lighted the spacious room some lamps had been brought and servants held them in their hands like torches according to custom all the servants of the house were present to bid a last farewell to the departed there was a little delay morano who had been giving himself no end of trouble ever since morning was forced to run off again as the triple coffin did not arrive at last it came some servants brought it up and then they were able to begin the cardinal and donna serafina stood side by side near the bed pierre was also present as well as don figilio it was victorine who sewed the lovers up in the white silk shroud which seemed like a bridal robe the gay pure robe of their union then two servants came forward and helped pierre and don vigilio to lay the bodies in the first coffin of pine wood lined with pink satin it was scarcely broader than an ordinary coffin so young and slim were the lovers and so tightly were they clasped in their last embrace when they were stretched inside they there continued their eternal slumber their heads half hidden by their odorous mingling hair and when this first coffin had been placed in the second one a leaden shell and the second had been enclosed in the third of stout oak and when the three lids had been soldered and screwed down the lovers faces could still be seen through the circular opening covered with thick glass which in accordance with the roman custom had been left in each of the coffins and then forever parted from the living alone together they still gazed at one another with their eyes obstinately open having all eternity before them wherein to exhaust their infinite love End of section 30